Fathers, we bow here before you. Lord, we are all lifting up different prayer needs, different requests, and different concerns. And Lord, as we do that, we're trusting that you hear and that you'll respond. Lord, we are believing that you want what is best for us. And sometimes that may mean that we don't get what we want, but what we need. And Lord, that's okay. We're okay with that. But Lord, you've also told us to lift our request up to you and to petition you and to turn to you and to to trust you. And that's what we're doing. So Lord, as we come before you this morning, we're trusting you to work in the lives of uh, everyone in here, every family that is represented. And Father, I pray that where there's forgiveness that needs to take place, that it would take place. Where there's a change in a person's life, uh, then Lord, I pray that they would take the step to make those changes. But Lord, draw us close to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we all be seated? You know, no matter how good of a person you may be, and no matter how long you've been a believer and how long you've been attending church, there will, if there hasn't already, come a time where you need to make some changes. There are things in your life that should not be there. There are things that you are guilty of doing. There, There's sin. There are, whether it be attitudes or actions, there's just sinful things that are there in your life. And the making the change um, to move more toward doing what is right, the Bible has a word for that. It is called repentance. That's what the Bible refers to when it talks about that. Let me ask you this question. Whenever I say the word repent, and I'm not asking for a show of hands or a response like that, but in your mind, what do you think of? What is the image? What do you think of? How do you feel? Um, whenever I mention the word repent or repentance, what comes to mind? Now, for some of you, I'm going to venture to say that what comes to mind is this image of somebody weeping and crying and begging God to forgive them. And that's kind of the way repentance has been portrayed to you over the years. Maybe that's what you think that it is. For others, it's just a feeling of deep sorrow. I'm sorry for what I've done. I feel terrible about what I've done. I'm guilty. And to you, that's repentance. Admitting that and confessing that to you, that's repentance. And for others of you, maybe you grew up like I did in a, in a little church where every week, you know, they have an altar call and people would go down front and they'd be weeping and crying and asking God to forgive them. And then a couple of weeks later, they'd be back down there doing the same thing all over again. And you begin to wonder after a while, just what is it that they're doing and why are they doing it? Because our concept of what that word means and our understanding of it has been somewhat distorted and it's been... Uh, the source of a lot of confusion over the years. Now, here's what I want to do today. I want to take a few minutes, and I want to challenge your thinking. I want to challenge your thinking in regard to what this word means and how it applies to your life. Because, you see, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to encourage you to repent, to look at your life and to see what's there and to let God show you the things that need to change and that you indeed take those steps toward repentance. But before you can do that, you've got to understand what it is. Because like I said, if if we took a poll, everybody would have a different response concerning what they think repentance is and what it looks like. And so I'm going to be talking to you today to try to explain to you what it is biblically and then how do I do it. And this is going to apply to you whether you are a Christian or whether you are searching for those answers and aren't quite there yet. 
Um, so I wanted to take the time and do that. Now, I'll explain as we go through this why I'm doing this, because uh, I'll go ahead and tell you, we're going to be looking at some verses here in a moment. We're going to be going back into the book of Jonah that we just left. And in that book, there's some things that I want to draw your attention to and to try to help you to understand what is being said. And I thought about this about a month ago when I was in the book, but I waited until now to, to bring this up and to talk about it. Let's begin. There are four things that you need to know before we begin talking about this subject. When it comes to the issue of repentance, there are four things that I want you to know. So this is just statements, and I'm laying the groundwork for this message today. Number one, repentance does not mean to feel sorry for your sins. Uh, when you, If you think that repentance means that, then that's not quite true. Um, sorrow for sins is involved in all of this. I mean, there's, it's a good thing to feel that way, but that's not what repentance is by definition. That's not what we're talking about. Here's number two. Sometimes the word repent isn't even referring to sin at all. Sometimes when it's used in the Bible, it's not even referring to sin. And that's important for us to know because, see, if we put this um, definition, this idea, this explanation on repentance that means somehow you're turning away from your sins or um, somehow is always related to sin. Well, I'm going to show you some scripture here that's going to cause you to a little frustration with that because that's not always the case. Number three is this. And again, I'm just throwing these out here very quickly. Mean, the meaning of the word depends on the context. The meaning of the word repent depends on the context in which it's given. For example, if you are talking in Scripture, if, if Scripture is talking about an unbeliever and they use the word repent, as so many times they did, um, that, that word is going to be explained and understood one way. But if the Scripture is talking to a believer about repentance, then that word is going to be defined and understood a different way. Now, it, this, again, will become clear as we go through this. But here's the fourth thing that you need to understand. And that is that the basic definition, I'm talking about just a lexicon definition for the word repent means simply this, to change your mind. That's the definition. If you look it up, that's what it means. It doesn't matter if you're looking in the Old Testament and Hebrew or the New Testament, you're looking at Greek. The underlying definition means that, just simply change your mind. And from that, then the context in which it's given and to whom it's being spoken determines what that means. Change your mind about what? See, so as we look at this, it'll become clear. Let me dive into these scriptures. Now, I want to show you the passages in Jonah that I wanted to come back to and talk about. If you'll recall, Jonah has gone, he's preached, and the king of Nineveh made his whole city fall out in sackcloth and ashes and beg for God to forgive them and to turn from their evil ways. In verse, uh, in chapter three, verse nine, here's what he says. This is the king talking. He says, who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And he's saying God may just change his mind and not kill us all after all if we do this. So they all turn from their evil ways and ask God to forgive them. Now here's what's interesting about this. Because in the King James, if you have a King James Bible, you can look this up. But it reads like this, the first part. He says, who can tell if God will turn and repent from his fierce anger? 
wait a minute. If God, God's repenting, yeah, God's repenting. See, the word is no different is used that is used here. It's talking about God doing the repenting. It goes on in the next verse. It reads like this. It says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And again, the word relent is in the King James, repent, because that's the literal word, repent. So it's saying that God repented of the evil that he said that he was going to do. In other words, he changed his mind. Here's chapter 4, verse 2, the same book. This is Jonah talking now. He says, he prayed to the Lord and he said this, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall from by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, the word relent is, again, the word repent. He said, I knew you were a God that would repent, that you would change your mind, and that you wouldn't do what you had said you were going to do in regard to these people. You would change your mind, you would repent. Now, here's another one. It's in Exodus. God's talking to the nation of Israel, to whom he's again told, if you don't straighten up, then I'm going to judge you. But here's what it says. It says in Exodus 32, 14, Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he threatened. Well, in the King James, it reads this way. And the Lord repented and did not bring it on them. So in all of these cases, you've got God doing the repenting and not somebody else. The word repent or repentance is found in the Old Testament 46 times. Now listen to this, okay? 37 of those times, God is the one doing the repenting. It's God that's doing it. So you see, when I tell you that repentance does not always refer to sin, you understand why. Because you can't hold that definition. That it always refers to sin and and explain all of these 37 passages where God is said to be repenting. You have to back up and say, as the lexicon says, it simply means this, that you change your mind, your understanding, your perspective, your point of view is basically what what it means. Let me read you this verse. In in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're looking in verses 9 and 10, but before we get there, this is Paul responding to something that had happened when he wrote his first letter to the Corinthian church. They were in gross sin. He writes them a letter, and he's just chewing all over them. He is just all over them because they are doing this as a church and just shaming them. And so now they've turned their their act around. They've gotten better. And now so he's writing to them the second letter to the Corinthian church. And here's what he says in verse 9. He says, yet now I am happy. He's happy because they've changed. He says, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance. Now look at this very carefully, okay? He says, I wrote to you and I jumped all over you, and I, I'm happy now that you've listened to what I had to say and you've changed. I didn't do it just to make you sorry. 
He said, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. In other words, you became sorrowful, grievous, um, shamed because of what you were doing, and you came to the conclusion that there need to be some changes. So you changed your mind, which ultimately you changed the way you were living, and now I'm happy because you've done that. He says in, in, in uh, this verse, he says in verse um, 9, he says, For you became sorrowful as God intended. Now, is it wrong to be sorry for your sins? Of course not. Good grief. To be ashamed of what you're doing? Yeah, that, that, but it has to be God-given. There are too many people, because of the definition that we've put on repentance, they are faking it. I'm going to show God that I'm really, really sorry. Most of the time we're sorry because we got caught. But I'm going to show God that I'm really, really sorry, so I'm going to... We'll go down an aisle. I'm going to, I'm going to weep. I'm going to give a testimony. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do all these things that show that I'm sorry because that's what repentance is. And God is saying, no, it's not. Because that is what leads to repentance. So what is, then is repentance? Well, it's when you get to the point where you see your sin and you say, in effect, uh, that has to change. See, that has to change. And sometimes you're sorry for it and sometimes you're not. But you make the decision to change your mind about what you're doing and thereby you change your behavior. And your life changes. And this is important because too many times we as Christians have defined repentance as something that we feel or do um, in regard to being sorry or that sort of thing. And God's saying, well, that you know, you're heading in the right direction. But they're not there yet. Because repentance is when you become so convinced that this is wrong that you change it. You do something about it. You remedy the situation. And so the point of what I'm trying to get you to see is this, that repentance does not mean to feel sorry for your sins. Now, I grew up thinking that. See, I grew up, and maybe some of you were the same way, where I was taught from the pulpit that God wants you to be sorry. So before you can be saved as an unbeliever, that God wants you to be sorry for your sin. And then when you're sorry enough and have told him enough and begged enough, then maybe God will forgive you. That was even true with Christians who had sinned. That God's not going to forgive you until he's convinced that you're really, really, really sorry. And guys, let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with having grief and sorrow and shame. Those are good things, but they have to come because the Spirit of God has broken your heart. The Spirit of God has broken your heart over what you're doing, and you were convinced that it was wrong, and now you step, you step out now to make some changes. See, this is where the repentance is. It's not back here with your feelings and emotions. It's with the change, the remedy to the situation. That's how the Bible portrays repentance. Now, there's all kind of motivations for somebody to do that. We've just seen sorrow and shame. You know, you're grieved over it. You see it as God sees it. So you make a step to correct the problem. Do you know that there's other reasons for you to repent? Let me give you a couple. God's goodness and love is motivation for you to repent. When you realize that God's been so good to you, how could you possibly do this? Let me read you this verse. It's in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. And Paul says this, he says, Or do you not, or I'm sorry, or do you show contempt 
for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Now look at this, because it says, you know, don't hold God's kindness in contempt. He's been so good to you, and he just keeps lavishing it on. And it's intended now, it's intended to bring you to an understanding that you need to make some changes. I mean, have you ever been sitting alone or, or in, in, you know, devotional time or quiet time, and you begin to look at all the things God's done for you, and you become so overwhelmed with how much he's done for you and how so little you have responded, you see. And so the goodness of God brings a person to the point sometimes where they make changes in their lives. They change their minds, they change their behavior ultimately. Here's another motivation for us to repent or make the changes in our lives, and that is fear. A good healthy dose of fear. God has told us that as believers, he's going to chasten us when we're disobedient and we won't listen. It's just like a child. My relationship to God now, so is yours, is that we are in a relationship like a father to a child. And you know yourself that as a parent, if this child keeps saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but nothing ever changes, eventually you step in and you discipline. Because you're not concerned about whether they're sorry or not. You're concerned that the change takes place. And God is that way too. And God has said to you and me that I will discipline my children. And God is very patient. But there comes a point in time where God steps in and starts doing things in our lives to get our attention and bring us to the point of saying, yeah, I need to make some changes. I need to change my mind about what I'm doing. I need to change my lifestyle. I need to do something. And just feeling sorry for it is is not enough. So fear is certainly a, a, a reason to do that. Wisdom is another one, another motivation. You realize that there are consequences to things. You cheat on your spouse, your spouse kicks you out. That's a consequence. You lose your family when you do things. You, you lose friends. You lose church friends. You, all the, the things that just normally happen when we choose to live life contrary to what God has told us to do. There are consequences. And the Bible says that a wise person, just somebody that thinks this through, comes to the point, you know what, I've got to do something. And so they make the necessary changes. And so wisdom, just being a wise person, motivates me to make some changes in my life. Repentance is all about you taking a step of action, you see. It's all about you taking a step to remedy the problem. Now let me show you something, because there's a difference between our understanding of repentance as it pertains to you and the gospel and an unbeliever and you as a believer in Christ. They both mean the same thing, to change your mind, to change your heart, to change your actions ultimately. But there's a difference. Now let me show you. Let's take an unbeliever for example. If, like I grew up, you have grown up with this idea that in order for a person to come to Christ... They've got to be sorry for their sins. They've got to tell God they're sorry. They've got to turn from all of their sins and not do them anymore and promise God they're going to stop. And then they've got to believe in Jesus. It's almost like two steps to the gospel that we've created over time. This has been going on for centuries in the church. 
that we have, in essence, created a gospel that is two parts. You, promising God you're going to turn and straighten up your life, which has been deter- uh, designated as repentance, and really being sorry for what you're doing and telling Him so, and then believing in Jesus. I can't tell you the number of times over the course of my life that I have heard people say to an individual who has just come to Christ and they have put their faith in Jesus Christ and they understand that He died on the cross for them, that somebody asks them this foolish question. Now listen. Yeah, yeah, I understand you got faith, but have you repented? What do you mean by that? Well, have you turned from your sin? You know, brother, show me somebody that's turned completely from their sin and never has to struggle with it again. Show me somebody. That person doesn't exist. Because my Christian life, like yours, is a continual struggle to turn away from things that God keeps pointing out to me, saying, you gotta have, you need to change this, you know? And so what we've done as Christians and preachers especially over the decades is we have created a two-step process to the gospel that says you've got to do both because somehow, you know, we see it in Scripture. We see Jesus talking about repentance. We see John the Baptist talking about repentance. And so we've created this dichotomy here that says, you know, there's two parts to this. And you you can't have one without the other. And, And this borders on, now listen to me, borders on heresy. Because we are creating a gospel that is false in our attempt to bring about a change in a person's life that only God can really bring. You and I can't do it. I can't preach you into it. I can't talk you into it. And so the thing is this. Let me read you this verse in Acts chapter 20, verse 21, talking about the unbeliever now. Paul is writing, he's talking to the Ephesian elders here in this passage, and he makes this statement. He says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Now you read that and you think to yourself, well, wait a minute, that's almost two different things, two steps. You're turning to God in repentance, which by definition we say is feeling sorry for your sin, agonizing over it, begging God to forgive you, and promising never to do it again. So that's the first part. And then faith in Christ. No, that's not what he's saying here. Okay? He's saying, I've declared this gospel, and here's my gospel. I've declared it to the Jews and the Gentiles and everybody that I know, that they turn to God in repentance. He's not talking about turning away from your sin and giving it all up and promising God you're never going to do it. Now, guys, listen to me. I'm not advocating that it's okay to sin. I'm trying to get you to see what repentance means as it pertains to an unbeliever. You are repenting toward God. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means things like this, that if I'm going to change my mind about who God is, I'm going to change my mind about how much He loves me, because, you see, most people in the world don't believe that or understand it. And so all of a sudden, I'm coming to these realizations And my mind is beginning to change. My way of thinking is beginning to change. That I understand that God loves me. I've never heard that, you say. I understand that that God hates sin, but He loves me anyway. I understand for the first time that I'm a sinner. Maybe I never knew that. Boy, these Jews didn't. 
A good Jew didn't admit that, you see. They didn't recognize that. You'd be amazed in this world today how many people don't acknowledge or understand that God says that I'm a sinner. We, we are changing our minds or repenting toward God in this regard. I see myself for the first time for the rotten person that God says I am. I see my need for the first time that I need a Savior because I can't do this. And so I'm turning to Him with all this new revelation and my mind is changing and my heart is changing and I hear the gospel and it's like pouring gasoline on a fire. And I believe that Jesus died for me. And I accept it because God has changed my mind. Please understand that when we add anything to that message, such as, well, you got to do this, you've got to feel sorry, you've got to act sorry, you've got to tell God you're sorry, and you've got to promise you're never going to do it again, then please tell me the difference in that and a gospel of works. What is a gospel of, of self-righteousness if not that? Me doing something to earn God's favor. So when we talk about repentance to the unbeliever, we're not talking about the, that a person that is, first of all, unregenerate. That means the Spirit isn't even in them yet. We're not going to tell that person of all people. I mean, we struggle ourselves with the Spirit in us. Tell that person you got to change your life before God will accept you. How's he going to do that? He, he can't. And we've done a terrible disservice to men and women who have for centuries wanted to come to Christ, wanted to, but they knew they weren't worthy. But, in, but the problem has been the way we've presented this whole concept that we've led them to believe, yeah, you're not worthy and you never will be. And how many people have walked away just resolved to the fact that they're bound for hell and there's nothing they can do about it. And God certainly doesn't want them. And it's shame on us. You see, this is the reason why Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he was doing in his early part of his ministry. He said, hey guys, listen, he said, you've, you've heard it said that you, you can't murder. That's what the, you know, the law says. He said, I'm telling you something. He said, if you hate somebody, you've already murdered them. Now what's he doing? He is pushing self-righteous Jews to the point of admitting, if that's the case, then I'm a sinner. Hey guys, you've heard that thou shalt not commit adultery, the act. And boy, these Jews were good at that. They, they were perfect with not outwardly sinning. But inwardly, there were all kind of things going on. He said, I'll tell you this, that if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've already committed the act of adultery. And so they're sitting there thinking to themselves, if that's true, then I've got to change the way I think. And maybe I'm guilty. Maybe I'm a sinner. And see, this is the what Jesus did more often than anything is to try to convince people, you need me. Because right now you don't think you do. And you've got to change the way you think in order to receive me. And so he would go and proclaim that. Even the concept of God. He, listen to this. Hey, you've heard it said before that God's an ogre and that God is harsh, that God 
takes things that, that don't belong to him and he demands too much from you. You've heard things like that. Let me tell you who God is. God is a father that when asked for bread would not give his child a serpent. That's who God is and you don't know that. And so as they hear this, their heads are spinning and their minds are changing and they're saying, wow. Let me tell you who God is. God is the kind of God that if he had a hundred sheep over here and one of them strayed off, he would, he would leave the 99 and go find the one that's missing. That's who God is. And see, we, the Jews, are proclaiming that God doesn't love those people. God only loves us, the upper crust, you know? And so, boom, I, I've got to change the way I think. Everything is changing. John the Baptist came and preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What is he saying to these people? You don't have the Holy Spirit. You have no power to make the change. Is he saying to them, you got to get rid of all of your sin before God will accept you? He's coming. you got to get rid of it first. No. He's saying to them, change the way you're thinking. You're guilty. You're a sinner. This is why he harped on it so much. He didn't come to save anybody. He came to prepare the way for the gospel, Jesus. And when those people heard that, they thought to themselves, we're pricked in our hearts because we see that this man is teaching something that is true. And we've got to change the way we think about this. And so they came in droves confessing, yeah, I'm a sinner. I I acknowledge that. And when Jesus came on the scene again, it was like pouring gas on a fire. They said, ah, there he is. See, that's the remedy to my problem. I know I'm a sinner, and there's the answer. And boy, they gravitated to him in droves. Not the Pharisees, the leaders, they didn't. They thought they were too good for it. But the poor, you bet they did, because they knew who they were. They were outcasts, had been all of their lives. And so when it comes to us preaching and teaching the gospel... It's one thing. You've got to understand that you are a sinner, but it's the faith that is the remedy for the problem. You see, this whole thing is about remedy. As an unbeliever, I have got to change the way I think about who God is and what sin is and who I am and what I'm like and be honest that I'm, I'm, I'm a scoundrel. But I've also got to understand that what I'm turning to is a remedy for that. Jesus Christ, he's the remedy. And so I'm admitting and confessing and acknowledging who I am and that I can't do it all by myself. And I'm accepting who God says he is and what he's done for me. God never asked anybody to turn over a new leaf and become perfect and give up all everything in order to come to him. He said, no, you come to me. All you who are burdened and laden with all of your guilt, all of your sin, all of your problems, just come. Whosoever will, just come. But don't I have to straighten my act up? Well, no, just come. I'm the remedy for your problem. The only thing you have to do is acknowledge or see for yourself you've got a problem. And when you do that, you'll come to me. And I'll accept you and I'll never turn you away. So repent. For the unbeliever, we're talking about changing your mind about God and seeing that the remedy to the problem is faith. 
Please don't present a gospel that's different than that. Please don't present a gospel that somehow divides it up into some form of works or self-righteousness and faith. It's not. But, you know, Paul said this over and over. It's not, if it is by grace, then it is not any, any longer by works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. And it's this concept of repentance that to some large degree has caused us confusion over this. All right, let me move. I'm running out of time. The unbeliever, okay. Now let's, let's focus on us, the believers, okay. How in the world, what is the, what is the admonition, what's the challenge here for the believer in relation to repentance? When God says to you and me that we need to repent as a believer, what's he saying? Well, let's look at some scripture here. Second Timothy chapter two and verse 25, Paul's writing to Timothy, a young pastor. And there had been some problems with Timothy. There was opposition in his church, the churches that he was dealing with. People who were spiritually knowledgeable were trying to tell him what was right and wrong. And so he, Paul's writing to him, and here's what he says in chapter 2, verse 25, 2 Timothy. Opponents, that is the people that you're having to deal with, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. What's he saying? He's saying, okay, you've got believers here that are acting ungodly. So you deal with them in a gentle way, because what you're trying to do, Timothy, is to convince these people that they are behaving contrary to Scripture. And while you're dealing with that, we are going to be praying and asking God to grant them repentance. Bring them to a point of changing the way they look at this. Changing the way they're acting. Changing the way they're behaving. Because when they do that, then that's the beginning. Because you see, that what that is what leads them to knowledge and an understanding of the truth. So for the believer, what are we talking about when we talk about repentance? Well, it's the same thing, basically. That God, through godly, the work of the Holy Spirit, convicts me in my heart and I understand, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. You ever felt that way? Yeah. And it's not you generating something, not you trying to be sorry, not you trying to demonstrate it. It's God breaking your heart. And beating you up and saying to you, how could you do such a foolish thing? How could you act that way? And oh, the burden, the guilt, the shame. And there comes a point now where you have to make a change of thinking. Am I going to live a life like this or am I going to change my thinking in the way I behave and am I going to change my behavior? So when we talk about an unbelie- or I talk about a Christian in relationship relationship to this word repentance, we're talking about a person acknowledging that what they're doing is sinful in the eyes of God, in making the change to stop it. See, this is where I think churches miss the boat so often, because if we define repentance as sorry for your sins, then we can do that all the time. We'll come down front at the end of a church service, and this I'm again referring back to the way I was raised, and pour out our hearts to God and tell God we're sorry and go right back out the next week and change nothing. Because you see, what we did, what we repented. I repented in church on Sunday. 
And I'm sure God's saying, okay, then what are you going to do now? Is that all there is to this? You telling me you're sorry? It's like a child again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. The repentance for the believer is you change the way you're living. Let me show you this verse. It'll be the last one I'm up for today. Listen to this. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Now, we've looked at this verse many different ways, but in the context of what I'm talking about, listen to this verse. Paul says this. He says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't live like everybody else. You don't have to live that way. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed. Be different. Change. How? By renewing, by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? Change the way you think. Repent. Over oh, here's the world. We know how they live, the unbelievers. He said, God doesn't want that for you. God said, I began a good work in you to change you. And I'm going to mold you and shape you to the day that I come back. He said, so here you are and you're letting that influence you. I want you transformed. Okay, Lord, then what do I do? Then change the way you think and act. What you're doing is unacceptable. And I want it to stop. And see, for repentance for you, It begins with you admitting that, the confession. Paul said, or John said, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. We come to him and acknowledge, Lord, I've sinned. But guys, there needs to be another step to this. Where not only am I ashamed of what I've done, and Lord, I'm telling you that, and I know that you forgive me because of grace, but God says now, let's get on with it. Let's change it. See, there's what repentance is right there. And as long as I have this definition that all it is is feeling sorry for sin and confessing, and de- then, then nothing ever changes. So, see, we come down to this point with, with you and me here today, and it's, and it's quite simple. I believe with all my heart, because I know it's true in my own life, that God is convicting you. And what I mean by that, he's, he's saying to you, calling you by name, whatever that may be, Tom, Joe, Sally, Sue, whatever. Hey, you're guilty. You've, you're doing something that is going to wreck your life. It is going to wreck your life. And the remedy to the problem is very simple. You need to acknowledge that before me, confession, and just change it. You need to do an about face here. You're, you're changing your mind and your, your attitude and your actions all together here. And you're saying, Lord, I'm going to take a step to be different. And guys, let me tell you something. Because we as Christians are bad about this. You know that I am probably the grace whisperer or something. You know, I mean, you talk about grace, I'm the guy. I'm the guy who's going to preach it and teach it and stand up for it. But somehow along the way, we've gotten this perspective that forgiveness is enough for the believer. I confess, as John says, and he is faithful and just to forgive me. But what God wants is for you to move 
in that direction. So that means that as there are things in my life and God convicts me that, yeah, I do, I, I am, God breaks my heart and I, I turn to him and I'm confessing to him, Lord, I, I, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I did it. And God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that man or that woman. And so we're going to start taking steps to make changes in life. So, you know, that stuff you do that nobody knows about? God knows. And God says, you can confess it to me and I will forgive you because I love you and I died for you. But until you repent in the sense that you take a step in the other direction, you make these changes, then you're destined to be in this cycle for the rest of your life. That I'll confess to God, receive forgiveness, and go on until next week when it happens again. And all I'm saying is this, even though God, like Peter said, how many times will you forgive me? He said, infinitely. That's grace. But that doesn't mean that I won't chasten you. You see, this is what we've got to understand. Because there has to be a point in time where we draw a line in the sand and say, I'm stepping over, I'm going to be a different person. I have the power. God told me, you have within you everything you need to live a godly life. You can do this. So guys and girls, whatever the problem, whatever the the secret sin is, maybe it's blatant, unforgiveness, lust, greed, things that you're doing that nobody knows about, you need to repent. You need to change. See, that's the call to the believer. And this is what God is challenging us to do. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. If you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ, then the remedy to that problem is to acknowledge that you're a sinner and receive Jesus Christ. For everyone else that is here today, all of us that are believers who have put our faith in Christ, you need to examine your life. And you need to start acknowledging the things in life that God is convicting you of and saying to you, hey, this has got to stop. And then step out with courage and bring it to an end. Repent. Change it. This is the call of God to you. But will you do it? I pray that you do. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you this morning, Father, every one of us, I'm sure, if we examine our lives closely, we'll see things in our lives that are positive or negative, things that we're doing that are sinful, things we should be doing and are, that are not and are still sinful. But, Father, we see them. We know they're there. And my prayer for each one of us as we are bowed here before you, Lord, is that we would make the commitment to make the change, that we would be, would be convinced in our hearts that this is wrong, and that we would be committed to make the necessary changes so that our lives can be transformed by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, that is really our prayer, that through your Holy Spirit, you will change us to be different people. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.